yeah, great to extend the welcome that Gav has already given to, to you. I, I felt like, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I just sensed I need to sit down to deliver today's talk. Um, and so I'm going to do that. Um, and usually that's a sign it's going to be a really challenging talk. So I'm just going to soften it by, with a sitting pose. I don't know, but just I just felt like it's, it's a bit more, it feels a bit more conversational. Um, but well done. Welcome. Um, shall we read the Bible together? Let's open up to Matthew 13 together. And we're going to read from verses 1. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have an app on your phone, we are going to, uh, it's going to come up on the screen. Amazing. So Matthew 13, there it is. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, of course, gives his own interpretation of what that parable means, which I'm going to sort of pick up on um, in a few moments. But we have launched Grow. Last week, we launched Grow, which is our framework for discipleship to help us live in the story of God and develop as disciples of Jesus. You can pick up your Grow Guide at the back in the Connect Corner, which helps, na- helps you navigate the things that we are going to be looking at as a church over the many years to come now. Grow is our answer to how do we grow in our faith? How do we develop as disciples of Jesus uh, through the lens of habits and um, practices that enable us to live in the story of God. And so um, this uh, last week, I sort of gave you an idea of the the resources that have gone into that. And so some of you love to read. Um, So just helpful for, for today's talk. Again, Um, Justin Whitmore Early, The Common Rule, which is uh, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. This has been instrumental in my life over the last couple of years, and it's amazing. Um, So there's that first one. And then today, particularly for this talk, uh, Mark Sayers, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World will create a remnant of renewed Christian leaders. Really, really good. This is very academic, this one. Well, it's not really, is it? Not For people like Gareth and Pete, this is, this is child's play. But for me, I was like, whoa. Um, and I, a few quotes coming up in my talk uh, from, from these, both these books here. But I'll leave that there for you, should you wish to uh, engage in this stuff as well. But as I said, last week, I looked at the framework for grow. I used the analogy of a trellis. So where a trellis supports the growth of a plant in gardening, we need a trellis for our lives to help us, help support the growth towards our discipleship and our faith. And I said that our trellis in our life is the habits. They're the patterns that we have and our regular rhythms. So that's the framework and that's the trellis. But this week, I want to talk about how God then helps us to live in the story of God. If grow is a framework for our discipleship, 
to help us live in the story of God. What does that mean? This is a phrase I want you to get really, really, really familiar with because we're going to use it lots and lots. It's this. The story you live in is the story you live out. The story you live in is the story you live out. And GROW is designed to help each of us live in this unfolding story of God, this unfolding story of God's love and redemption for the world. There are many competing stories in culture that try to shape our lives, that try to shape us. They try to influence our thoughts and But as a church, we want God and his story to shape us first and foremost above anything else. So the story we live in is crucial because the story we live in is the story we live out. Sometimes we're not aware of the stories that we are are living in. So let's unpack that first. The novelist David Foster Wallace gave a speech. It's quite a famous speech in 2005 at the Kenyan College graduation. And he started with a story, and he said this, this story, there, there are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way. And, who, and this older fish nods at the younger fish and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one looks at the other and says, what the heck is water? It's... The point being, the most obvious, important realities in our life are often the ones that are hardest to see and hardest to talk about. We live in a world of competing narratives. Just like fish in water, we are surrounded by a certain story and a certain narrative for our life. So our environment is full of stories, hoping to influence our our view on our identity, our stories trying to shape our politics, stories trying to shape what and where we might attribute meaning to, and also trying to shape our decisions around what we consider the good, the good to be in life. Mark Sayers says this this in this book. He says, the structure of our contemporary world creates an anxious social atmosphere. He says, that's the context of our world, an anxious social atmosphere. Whichever, our, whichever story or narrative or position that we subscribe to, whatever story we place ourselves within, it, it massively impacts how we live our lives. Last week, I said that our, our identity shapes our action. What you believe about yourself will shape how you live out your life. And it's the same point of what I'm saying now. What you believe about, about yourself And we might call that what story you believe about yourself, what narrative you believe about yourself massively impacts what you do in your life. So what about the other stories as well? Not just stories about who you are, but stories about how the world is, what the world is like, where the world is heading. What about the story of who God is? There will be a stark difference between someone who believes the story that God is a judgmental, distant, cosmic tutter who is always angry at you. And there'll be a massive difference between someone who knows God as the father of all compassion and the one who forgives and the one who redeems. A different story about God which will massively impact how you live out your lives based on what uh, what you believe God believes about you. The story we live in is the story we live out. So if last week I talked about the trellis, this week I'm talking about the soil. 
the soil. I don't have an icon for the soil because it kept on looking like poo. And I just, so, but you know what soil looks like, don't you? So the story we live in, that's what I would consider the soil of our lives. The soil is the environment where a seed either grows or it doesn't. It's the environment that either encourages growth or it suffocates it. The famous Instagram farmer, I'm sure you're all following him, Richard Perkins, he says that most people, when, we, when they've got an issue, they focus on the plant. They focus on the plant, but he says, no, we, you need to focus on the soil. The soil is the most important starting point. The soil is the foundation, which then the trellis supports as it produces the growth. The soil is just in just as important because in the same way that we're being influenced and formed by all these unconscious actions we make every day, these habits we have, we're also being influenced by our environments, our external forces, these competing narratives. We're being formed in patterns that we would never consciously choose if we were actually aware of them. And so Justin Early would say this, this is the difference between what we call education and what we call formation. Education is what you learn and know, things that you're taught Formation is what you practice and do, the things that are caught. And he says that the most important things in our life, of course, are, are caught and not taught. And formation is largely about all the unseen stuff, the stuff that's going on in the soil, the stories that we're surrounded by. So here's the basic point for this morning to take away. Let's situate ourselves in the right story. Let's situate ourselves in the right soil, which is the story of the unfolding grace and redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. That's the soil we want to position ourselves in. So Jesus later explains the parable, and in verse 23, he says about the good soil, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. Here's the word and understand it. So firstly, good soil puts love above fear. Good soil puts love above fear. Good soil is about living in the story of love and not of fear. Love is so compelling. Love is so motivating. But for a lot of the time, I think we often live out of places of fear, fear and worry. Justin Early, again, in this book, uses a different word. He says, we either live in a story of love or legalism. Legalism meaning that we live from a place of trying to earn our worth rather than living from a place of knowing our worth in God. If God is an angry judge just waiting for you to slip up, then what you do is you do your best in life to dot the I's and cross the T's, try really hard to do the things that you hope will appease God's anger towards you and hope that then as a result of doing those things, God will love you. Now, I get that that's, that's quite an exaggerated caricature of, of God, this huge cosmic judge. But there are more subtle versions, more watered-down versions of that God, which some of us, I've been, I think, we've bought into over our life. That means we're living in a story about God that isn't true about him and how he relates to us. The problem with living from a place of fear is that fear and anxiety and worry, it disrupts growth. Jesus said in verse 22, when he was explaining the parable, he said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Justin Early describes how he used to start the day. He said, if I wake up and I'm thinking about what I'd done the day before, the night before, I wake up with those thoughts, then I'm, I'm starting the day with guilt, in a story of guilt at what I had done. He says, but if I wake up and I'm thinking about what I'm going to be doing throughout the day, then I'm, I'm living within the story of anxiety about the day to come. Last week, I, I mentioned about the number of us who sleep next to our phones, this crazy statistic of the amount of us who sleep next to our phone, and then the number of us, the first thing we engage with in the morning is our phone. Actually, no, I don't want to shame you, but who's, who is that in the room? Yeah, there's a lot of us that do that. That often starts our day in a particular story. So say there's a message you get in the morning. You open your phone first, and you get a message. Maybe it's someone from work telling you you've got to do something. Or someone's asking you to do something. You receive a task. You might start the day potentially with the anxiety over that task. And you start with the worry and gosh, I've got to do that thing. You might be angry that you might have to be doing something. You might feel guilty because you know you're not going to be able to do it. Or you might get it's just a simple message from a friend and you feel guilty because you think, oh, it's just another message that I've got to think about and reply to. And it might take me a really long time to do it. Starting the day in, in, in different stories like that. Maybe, maybe you love news alerts. And you start the day seeing this news alert, uh, and it reminds you of the state of the world, or the, the corruption that is around, the, the negligence in structures of authority. And so potentially you start the day in a story of fear for the world, for life, or perhaps start the day in sadness and desperation for the world. Or like me, social media and Instagram. Maybe you start the day hoping and you check that more people have been impressed by your latest activity on Strava. Maybe you're hoping more people, I've got my best fan in the room over there, I love this, <laughs> always laughing at my jokes. Maybe you start the day with envy for the life that you wished you'd have, but someone else seems to be living. Or maybe more people had liked your, your post or, in, or engaging with the post. Uh, or maybe it's simply just starting the day with that immediate escapism, the mindless sort of scrolling as a way to sort of numb ourselves from the realities of the world and the day ahead. I mean, what a day to start. Stress, envy, and cynicism. Hey, I, I get, last week it was quite punchy, wasn't it? And it feels like... It's, does that you get that sense? It's quite punchy. Do we need a joke to lighten the mood? What's, do you know the, what's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke? Timing. <laughs> yes, Nigel? You like that one? Justin suggests kneeling prayer. He gives us a really practical example. Kneeling prayer as a great habit to try and adopt to help us to frame the day right to frame the day in the right story. So when he, he describes in this book here, he wakes up and the first thing he does is he kneels by his bed to pray. And he kneels and prays about, uh, he, he says, sometimes it's simply just, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Starting the day, framing the day, not in the anxiety of news, not in the anxieties of work and stress, but starting the day in the presence 
of God, kneeling before him. I, I don't kneel every morning to pray, but I, I do engage with the Church of England's morning prayer. I find the liturgy of morning prayer really, really helpful for my spirituality. And I love how morning prayer begins. It says, as we rejoice in the gift of this new day, so may the light of your presence, O God, set our hearts on fire with love for you. And not only do I love the beauty of those words, but it also reminds me of when I was once at a retreat and someone was leading morning prayer. It was a silent retreat, so we, were, we, we could only talk during prayer. And when this person led that prayer and when they said that sentence, instead of saying, set our hearts on fire with love for you, they said, set our farts on fire with love for you. And so I get to start my day every day, firstly in joy at that memory, but I'm also starting in a place of God's love and within the story of God's love. So good soil firstly puts love above fear. Practically, that's a daily habit. That's, that's a habit that, that happens the first thing in the morning. How can you, how could we frame our day in love? How can we frame our day in the love of God? Start the day right, either with a kneeling prayer or a particular prayer that you read. Maybe, maybe you just need to get one of those pens you can write on mirrors and write on your bathroom mirror some, some truths about God. How do you want to start your day? How might you shape your day in the story and love of God? This story of God's love and acceptance and compassion for you right at the beginning. That will set you up far better than getting worried about the things of the day. So firstly, good soil puts love above fear. And secondly, good soil accepts challenge and avoids comfort. And what does that mean? It accepts challenge and avoids comfort. Jesus, again, in his interpretation of the parable, he says in verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When challenge comes, when challenge comes, growth and spiritual maturity will be found when we engage with it rather than trying to escape it. When we engage with it rather than trying to escape it. I, before I got married, I had a friend who was a real uh, gym goer and he was sort of getting me fit for fee for our wedding. He was getting me um, fit and ready for our wedding and we would go to the gym together uh, quite late at night, it was a 24-hour gym, so we'd hit the gym around midnight to go to the gym together. And he had this phrase, which was mental. He had this phrase, which was like, if you can do one more, you can do two more. I was like, I don't, I don't understand the logic. I don't, I don't get it. It's like, <laughs> if you can do one more, you can do two more. He's like, we don't do odd numbers, we only do even numbers. It was just this great, it was amazing. He once got so pumped, ha having just like done a really big set, he got up and he punched me in the stomach. Uh, I was like, whoa, pain, challenge. But Fiona, I looked good on our wedding day, didn't I? We, ooh. 
challenge. We, we know it. We know that muscles need to be challenged and stretched in order to grow. And so why would we not consider that challenge, challenging moments in our life, although not very comfortable and not very pleasant, are, are the things that are going to help us grow and develop in life, in faith, in all things. Mark Sayers talks about this innate desire that we have to get and to try and get into and operate from the comfort zone. And he says the comfort zone, though, is poor soil if you want to activate seeds of growth and renewal. He goes on to say the most comfortable environments from an earthly perspective are the worst environments for the seed of the kingdom of God to grow. And then he says this, and this is the, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another joke at the end of this one. Growth, he says, growth, however, involves understanding that discomfort and pain are part of life and can be used by God to grow us. Unhealthy individuals and systems make comfort and ease their highest value and thus do everything to avoid discomfort and pain. They hold ease, comfort, and good feelings above growth. The choice to prioritize comfort, ease, and good feelings above growth is the choice to embrace and accept personal, spiritual, and emotional immaturity. Wow. Do we need another joke? Did you hear the one about the incident with the inflatable schoolboy at the inflatable school who got called into the inflatable headmistress's office about the incident with the pin. And she said, you've let me down, you've let yourself down, but you've also let your school down. I don't, if we choose. <laughs> I was thinking, what on earth has happened to Beijing? Or at least what's happened to that? If we choose. If we choose to live within the story of love and not fear, that doesn't mean we're exempt from life's troubles and life's challenges. So please never expect to hear that from Bay Church, that follow these things and your life will be challenge-free, worry-free, pain-free. It won't. It doesn't mean we're exempt from challenge and hardship in life, but it is good soil for growth, because we, that particular narrative we live in states a truth that in those hard times, we have exactly what we need and who we need to help us engage and navigate that particular challenging season in our life, that God is with us. And so the longer we can stay uncomfortable, the more we'll see a deeper work of God in our life. Don't chase the comfort zone, chase after growth. If you, if you ever hear Pete talk about grow, when he, when he explains grow to people, he, he, calls it, uh, he calls it a countercultural invitation. It's an invitation to, 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 to wrestle with stuff that might be a bit challenging, but it's to, that leads to growth rather than the cultural invitation of just do things that make you feel good, that, that bring, in my opinion, not life. The longer we can stay uncomfortable, the more we'll see a deeper work of God in our life. This week, I went on a, my annual retreat. I go away every year with four guys who I trained with at college. And this was our seventh retreat now. There we all are. And actually, I'm really excited. Mark, who's in the middle uh, next to me, uh, he's, he's speaking next week here. I'm really excited to have one of my friends come and preach here next week. This was our seventh retreat. It's always in October. 
That's the first key information for you in this analogy. That's as part of these retreats, what we always have to do as, as a group of guys is we have to go swimming in the sea. Now, if you know me, I find the Riviera Center swimming pool cold, <laughs> let alone the actual sea in the middle of October. If you remember the baptisms, I was very slow getting in that water. And that was in July. So October, what usually happens through fear and peer pressure is I get in, I get under to show the lads that I can get in the water, and then I immediately get out, and I just wait for them to finish having fun. <laughs> I don't like being uncomfortable, and I don't like being cold. I don't like being in the sea. But each year, I've, I've got better. And so this Thursday, when I got in the sea in Lyme Regis, I got in, I got under, I stayed in, I stayed out, and it was the most liberating time for me. I felt like I'd broken through a barrier. Where's my applause for stay? <laughs> but, I mean, don't ask me to do it here in the bay. Like, that, you're having a laugh. I'll do it for the lads. But. And you know those annoying people who say, oh, it's, you know, it's always all right when you've got to get your shoulders in. They're right, aren't they? They're right. You get used to it. You get used to it, stay uncomfortable, and then see the transformation happen, then see the progress. Part of what we do on those retreats is we take turns to share with each other what, what the year's been like. We, we, we take turns to share and then receive feedback, to receive challenge, encouragement, and then we get prayed for. Each person gets two hours, two hours to share, receive feedback, and towards the end, we always ask two questions of each other. Um, at the end, we say, okay, what did you lie to us about in the last two hours? And the other one was, and what haven't you told us? What have you decided not to share with us? And it, it, if it sounds intense, it is. It is. It's uncomfortable. Actually, whoever, say, whoever is sharing, we sit them in the most uncomfortable chair as well out, on purpose but it's the most life-giving 36 hours of, of my year because despite it being uncomfortable, despite at times it feeling a bit raw and a bit too vulnerable, I know that these guys love me. I know that they're for me. They want the best for me. Our commitment to each other when we finished training at Vicar School together, our commitment was we cannot let each other fail in our, in our ministries. And we committed to say we are not going to allow each other to fail and that's why we meet up every year for 36 hours. It's why once a year we sort of meet together for a quick day, like eight hours. It's why every two weeks on Zoom, we check in for an hour together and give each other a chance to check in. Also that we can be encouraged, we can be guided by each other so that we can try and navigate both the highs and the lows of life. Don't worry, you don't need to get to Vicar School to find those sorts of people. The Grow Guide uh, has some weekly and monthly habits. That's where these come in. The key habits we're suggesting for the weekly stuff are Sundays and our groups, places where you can find belonging, places where you can find the people where you can feel known and supported and to grow in your faith. And the suggestion for the monthly habits is a new thing that we're calling tables, where we meet each month uh, with two other people, the same three each time, to go a little bit deeper in questions and uh, by some guided questions to help encourage our growth and our faith. So good soil 
is where you don't try to avoid the challenges of life, but allow them to deepen and strengthen your faith. That's what I hope Grow will do for us. In the context then as well of a community that is all trying to, we're all trying to do the same thing, grow and develop and grow in faith. And in, of course, the context of a God who is with you at every moment. Good soil is firstly putting love above fear and living within the story of God's love. Secondly, good soil is accepting challenge and avoiding the pull of the comfort zone because it's in the hard places that real growth happens. Within you is a lot of potential that God wants to draw out and help grow. It's like a seed just waiting for the right conditions. You know, the, the, to get technical about seeds, the, the, outer, the chemicals in the outer coat of a seed that's what senses whether or not it's in a nutrient-rich soil. And once it is, it sends a message that this is a safe place to grow. My prayer then is that as we place our lives within the unfolding story of God's love and we hold firm when things get different, almost like that seed would know, this is a safe place to begin to grow. And from within us, then something will grow that is spectacular beautiful and life-giving for you and I as we grow in the likeness of Jesus. So may we hear God's word, may we understand it, may we receive it, and may we grow into the people he is calling us to be. Amen. 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 Let's stand and we're going we're gonna to pray.